1 John chapter 5, and I'll be reading verses 13 through 21. Please follow along as I read, starting in verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we will have the petitions that we desired of him. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even the Son, of, even the Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. 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 Uh, open your Bibles this morning to First John chapter 5. Uh, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. If any man see his brother's sin as sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. That's it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, dear God, for the power of your word. Lord, we just ask that you would, these next few moments, as we dive into these few verses uh, in First John chapter 5, that you would just speak to our hearts, challenge us, help us to understand and know, Lord, the things that you have uh, for us, We pray, God, that you would make it clear to us, Lord, that you would help us to understand. Allow your spirit to minister to each and every one of us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in this last section of John, he tells us why he's writing this in verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life and that you might believe on the name of the Son of God. But that's not the only reason why he writes this letter. First John, uh, in the first chapter, he says what? These things have I written unto you that your joy may be full. In chapter 2, he says, 
these things have I written unto you, that ye sin not. And in verse 20, 26, he says, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. So John has a number of things, uh, challenges that he now is trying to address. Obviously, there were those who maybe didn't believe in their salvation. They had not an assurance of their salvation. So he writes, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. We have an assurance that God has given us such a love that we have been now made permanently his children. No doubt that John's faced sin. 24 times in the, in the whole letter, he mentions sin. So he writes, Whosoever committed sin transgresseth the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then John must have really had to deal with a slew of false teachers and those who denied Christ, those who denied his, um, his divinity, that he came in the flesh, that you know, he was just, yeah, he came in the flesh, but it's not really the body that you see. So he writes, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Many false prophets have come into the world. Every spirit that confesses it not, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. So there are a lot of things John has faced. Um, and he's, he's writing to, to these believers. In this last section, though, he wants to assure us of what we should know. What we should know. Seven times he says, ye may know, or we know. What is the importance of knowing that God is come and that we may know him. What is the importance of knowing that if he hears us, we have the petitions that we desire of him? What is it that we know that we have eternal life? What is, it, what is eternal life? I mean, in, in its basic form, eternal life is what? Life after we die. Life after we die and leave this earth, and we will spend eternity with God. So the duration, sure, it's, it's, it's about duration, but is it only about the duration of life? Turn to John 17. John 17, in verse 1, Jesus says, These words spake Jesus, John says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, and thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is the life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Beloved, Jesus is telling us eternal life, there in verse 3, is now. Eternal life is now. We don't have to wait to get to heaven to know our Heavenly Father. We don't have to wait to get to heaven to walk with Jesus 
and have an intimate relationship with Christ. Eternal life is about the quality of life that we can have now here on earth, not when we get to heaven. So John, in his parting words, gives us at least two essential truths, two truths that, so that we may know how to live with eternal life here on earth. And the first truth is to live with confidence. And this is the confidence that we have in him. You might say, well, you know, confidence, confidence is not, you know, it's a secular word. It's, it's, a, it's a humanistic quality. No, it's not. It's in the Bible. It just means boldness, assurance. It literally means to speak freely. And God wants to give us the confidence. But how does a believer gain confidence? How does a believer gain confidence? You, you know, it's, it doesn't come overnight, does it? Does God, like, zap us? And overnight, we have this remarkable confidence. I spent three months in, in Paris Island, South Carolina, in boot camp. We had to do what was called a confidence course, okay? And one of, one of the op- basically, a confidence course is just a series of obstacles that we had to do, that we had to go through. Basically, to just, you know, challenge your fears and try to give you the confidence that you need to be a Marine. So one of them was this tightrope. And we had to get on this rope, which is only about maybe, I don't know, an inch and a half, two inches in diameter, and go through from one end to the the next. And we actually had to go front first. That's not easy at all. And then midway, we had to change our position and then go backwards. Now, while I was waiting for my turn... You know what I was doing? I was hoping that somebody would fall because I couldn't swim. So I just wanted to see how deep the water was. So really, my fear of of being on the rope was overcome by my fear of the water. So, and at this time, you are literally clinching to this rope. But at the very end, you have basically a really nice uh, rope burn on the inside of your calf that probably stays with you for about a week. And, but it does what it's supposed to do. It overcomes your fear. If you have fear of heights, we had another obstacle called, this is, I don't know if you understand, we're propelling, basically just, you know, with a rope and a, and a D-ring, you just go down a tower. We had to make our own. Um, we had to make our own harness. So it wasn't like you just you know put on a harness. They gave us like maybe a six-foot-long rope, and we had to learn how to make the harness. Now, can you imagine if you didn't make the harness properly, if you didn't tie the right knot, you would feel gravity really fast. So you would really pay attention to how to make this harness out of this rope. That other tower there, I mean, that's probably, I don't know, 40, 50 feet tall. And it was not easy going up and down that and trying to, you know, not look down if you're you're afraid of, of heights. Again, to overcome your fears and build confidence and, and, if at this point you were still afraid and still had some kind of fear, 
you have the gas chamber. So basically, what, you, what we, we did was uh, we would go in this room and we would go in with our gas mask on. So you had to learn how to use a gas mask, okay? It's not just you put it on and, 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 it's, and it's, you know, good to go. Uh, you had to don it, you had to clear it, and you had to do some things so to, to, to put a complete seal uh, on your face so the gas wouldn't come in. So this is basically uh, riot gas, okay, tear gas uh, is basically what it is. And it really attacks your, your whole respiratory system. Uh, it burns your lungs, your, si- your, your, your eyes, your nose, your sinuses. Um, so once you're inside, they make you do exercises, okay? This way you can, you can build up um, breath, right? You're, you're out of breath after you, you do some exercises, and then you got to take the mask off. You take the mask off, and they make you recite the Marine Corps hymn. So, and by that time, you know, you come out looking like that. And by the end of the day, you're like, wow, I did it. And your confidence is built, right? You know what First John is? It's a confidence course. First John is a confidence course. You say, Oh, come on, Carmine, really? Yeah, really. First John 2.15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you know why Christians, some Christians oftentimes don't want to give up their earthly pleasures? Fear. Fear. They're afraid that they won't be able to live without that thing. They're afraid that li- their life will be boring and not fun. They're afraid to lose friends. They're afraid to be alone. They're afraid that their Christian life will not satisfy them. And what's the result? The love of the Father is not in them. So the obstacle course here is to one by one, one by one, to get rid of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the part of life, whereby we can experience the love of the Father. Another obstacle, 1 John 3, 11. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that ye should love one another, not as Cain, who was that wicked one and slew, uh, wicked one and slew his brother. Love one another? Wait, you want me to love that person? Sometimes we love like, like Cain loved Abel. We do. Sometimes we love like Cain loved Abel. In our hearts, we slay our brother and sister. What does slew mean? It means to butcher to wound. And we're pretty good at butchering people with our words, wounding them with what we say or what we don't say. I actually had people in this church try to avoid me just enough to say hello to me. Sweet little old me, right? (laughs) Just not to say hello. That hurt too. You didn't have to say anything, just avoiding me. I know I'm not the nicest guy, but you can say hello. If there's a person in your life that, you know, you find so difficult to be kind to and to love, maybe because they have an awful attitude, they never have nothing nice to say, uh, they don't treat you so well, um, and therefore you really can't bring yourself to loving them genuinely, well, the problem is not with them. The problem is with us. 1 Peter 4.8 says, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover 
the multitude of sins. Having fervent charity doesn't necessarily cover my sins. The blood of Jesus covers my sins. It's their sins that are covered. Our love, our fervent love, is blind to their imperfections, is blind to their flaws, is blind to their uh, offenses to us. And we don't broadcast their sins and and cause any uh, kind of ill will to that person. So fervent love forgives, just as Christ forgave us and forgave us of our faults and our offenses and our imperfections. Do you know why Christians don't want to love? Fear. Fear. Fear of having their feelings hurt. Fear of being maybe taken advantage of. Fear maybe of being ridiculed in some way. And what's the result? And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil. And now our works are tainted with evil. Why? Because we have failed to heed the message that we heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So here's the obstacle. Forget your feelings, forget your pride, and love that person. So I call this the EO1J conference course, Epistle of 1 John conference course. There was one important thing, though, to point out about this conference course. Remember the illustration of the gas mask? Well, what's the point of this, this training? The point of the training is so we can have confidence in our gas mask so that when we needed it, we can rely on it to save us. We had literally nine seconds to, to take the gas mask out of, the, out of our pouch, put it on, dawn and clear. Uh, nine seconds goes pretty fast. Uh, so that's what, basically you had time. If there was some kind of an NBC attack, this is how much time you had to put your, your gas mask on. But the confidence was in the gas mask, okay, in the gas mask saving you. Our confidence is in Christ. Our confidence is in Christ to love the person. Our confidence is in Christ to not love the things of this world. And in verse 14 and 15, John associates our confidence in him with our prayer life. If we ask anything, we are confident that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then we know for sure that we will get the petitions that we desire of him. But John, does give, he does give us a, a crucial, crucial ingredient. What's the ingredient? According to his will. According to his will. That's the qualification. That is the qualification. If we ask anything according to his will, not our will, his will. We don't impose our will upon God. Well, you might say, Carmine, verse 15 says, Whatsoever we ask. So it is whatsoever. Well, my answer would be, well, John is not schizophrenic. That whatsoever we ask in verse 15 is referring to what he just finished saying in verse 14. Whatsoever we ask according to his will. We need to read the verses in context, right? We, we can't divorce. Sure, we, we take the plain reading of the text, but we don't divorce it from the context. The question really to ask is, how do we pray according to God's will? How do we pray according to John's will? John 15:7 says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask 
what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Aha! See? You shall ask what you will. So it is whatsoever we will. Well, did Jesus get whatsoever he asked for? Matthew twenty six thirty nine. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Jesus in his humanity, in his agony, pleading with the Father, pleading, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. You know what this implies, by the way? Jesus had his own will. He had to have had his own will if he was fully human. To say that Jesus didn't have his own will and his, and his divine will is to believe in an ancient heresy called Apollinarianism. That's basically saying that uh, God, Jesus, had a, a body, a physical body, but a, a divine will. And who was, uh, it, it was named after Apollinaris, who was a, um, a bishop in the Laodicean church in 361 A.D. So... He made, he, this was his explanation of how Jesus Christ can be God and human at the same time. Why is this important? Well, there are those who would lead you to believe that the early church fathers, because they lived so close to the apostles, that they have and hold the true doctrine. They have and hold um, the truth, as opposed to maybe those who lived... A thousand years later, theologians that might have lived a thousand years later, theologians from the Reformation. That's a lie. That's a complete lie. Heresy and false doctrine was rampant in the early church as much as anywhere in church history. So don't believe that. So if Jesus, who was the Son of God, had to pray according to the Father's will, how much more do we have to pray according to the Father's will? Jesus did not get whatsoever he asked. So how do we pray according to the Father's will? Let's, let's go back to John 57. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. So the key is abiding in Christ what, and having his word abide in us. We learn the Father's will by immersing ourselves in his word. We immerse ourselves in his word. The more we immerse, the more we get to know who he is, the more we get to know his wisdom, his knowledge, his precepts, his unchanging qualities, and that will start to change the way we think. That will start to change the way we pray, where we will be praying according to his will and not ours. Along with abiding in Christ and his word abiding in us, in John 14:3 teaches us two key elements, two key elements of prayer, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Two key elements there. Do you see it? Praying in His name and bringing glory to the Father. So, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? It means to pray on His account, for His sake. 
We are seeking Christ's merit, not our merit. We are seeking Christ to intercede for us. That's what it means, ultimately, uh, what it means to pray in Jesus' name. If we're going to tack on, if we're going to tack on in Jesus' name, we better know and understand what that means. And we pray for what purpose? To bring glory to God. Our glory is always to God in what we pray. Try to pray for a million dollars, see what happens. And what's the result of all this praying according to God's will? He hears us. And we are given the, the petitions we desire of him. And you know what that does? All the more gives us the joy and the confidence. Beautiful couple, right? Beautiful couple. The joy and the confidence. Carrie, did it seem like a lifetime in prayer for that day? Absolutely, right? But the day it came, what joy and what confidence that you had in Christ. You know, that speaks to Proverbs 13:12. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. You know, that word sick is to be, to be weak, to be, to be worn, to be wounded, to grieve. But when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. And so it is with prayer. Our confidence, and, and this is why John... Uh, really associates our confidence with prayer. When we pray according to God's will and we see God's prayers answered, not only is it joyful, it builds our confidence in God tremendously. Our prayer life is directly connected to our confidence in Christ and this is the confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. These next, word, next two verses really have long been debated. Everyone has their own view on what these two next verses mean, and hopefully we will understand after this. If any man, verse 15, 16 and 17, if any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that ye shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin unto death. We're going to go carefully. We're going to unpack this phrase by phrase. We're going to go slow, okay? We're going to go look at what we know for sure, and then we'll look at maybe those uh, phrases that maybe is not so clear. This verse is definitely, for sure, speaking about believers, okay? Brethren. Um, if any man see his brother, that is a believer, okay? No doubt. He shall ask. It's the same meaning as in verse 14. It's if, if we ask anything in his name. This is prayer, okay? Prayer to God. All unrighteousness is sin means just that. All unrighteousness is sin. Okay? Easy, right? So look, let's look at the maybe not so easy. There is a sin not unto death. But wait a minute. Doesn't all sin eventually lead to death? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Proverbs 11.19, as unrighteousness tendeth to life, so he that pursueth evil pursueth to his own death. So what John is talking about here is immediate death. There is a sin that leads to immediate death. Why? I'm sorry, that doesn't lead to immediate death. 
Why? Because apparently there is a sin that leads to immediate death. And where would they have gotten that, that notion from? Well, there is a sin unto death. Example, 1 Corinthians 11.27. That's the passage uh, of the Lord's Supper, partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthily manner. As it says in verse 30, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. That sleep is death. What does it mean in an unworthily manner? Well, this, that, that passage has several applications, but in the immediate context, the interpretation is disunity. Disunity in the church, and, and I have the references there, and you can take a look at it. A second example, Acts 5. We all know Ananias and Sapphira, what happened to them? They lied to the Holy Ghost, and they dropped dead. I think that's where they got, we got the expression, dropped dead from. Um, but this sin unto death brings up the issue of the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin. What is it? What is the unpardonable sin? Can a Christian commit the unpardonable sin? Well, some people believe that persistent unbelief is the unpardonable sin. But is that the unpardonable sin or is it just a sin that goes unpardoned? Meaning that we didn't go to God to ask for forgiveness for that sin. But if we did, then God would forgive that sin. Remember in Mark chapter 9, uh, there was a man that had the son with the dumb spirit, brought it to Jesus. Jesus delivered the son. And Jesus said to the man, if thou canst believe, all things are possible. And the man in tears said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus didn't say, oh, sorry, can't help you there. That's the unpardonable sin. So the unpardonable sin is associated with blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Turn to Matthew 12. Matthew 12. Starting in verse 22. When he was brought unto him, then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and the dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought unto desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? If I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges." But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else how can one enter a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy, 
shall be forgiven unto men, but blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So we have this unpardonable sin that if we commit it, it will not be forgiven now or in the world to come. What's going on in this chapter? What's going on in this chapter? Jesus is performing a miracle. But not any, just not any miracle. He's performing miracles that authenticate him as the Messiah. Miracles that authenticate him as the Messiah. Jesus is doing messianic works as the Son in the will of the Father. Got that? He's doing messianic work as the Son by the will of the Father, in the will of the Father, by the power of the Spirit. So this is a very unique situation, right? This is a very unique situation. Jesus humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself. He took upon him the former servant and took upon him the likeness of man. He was made into the likeness of man. Standing before them, doing messianic work. Messianic stuff in the power of the Spirit. And the Pharisees attributed it to who? Satan. And Jesus pronounces judgment upon them. That's the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is attributing to Satan the authenticating messianic work done by the Son in the will of the Father by the power of the Spirit. So by definition, by definition, a Christian cannot, cannot commit this today. The kenosis is over. Jesus is no longer emptying himself. He's no longer walking around doing the will of the Father. The, the works, the messianic works, the miracles in the will of the Father by the power of the Spirit. It's done. So this sin unto death, we don't know what it is. John mentions it, but John says it, but we don't know what it is. He doesn't tell us. And you know what? We don't have to know. We don't have to know what it is. Why? When you give a gospel tract to someone, right, do you know whether or not they will read it and get saved? No, right? We don't know. But in faith, we give it to them and we pray and have confidence in God that as they read it, God would work in their hearts, right? God would work in them, bring them to the knowledge of, of, of God, to the knowledge of Christ. The same way, if we are aware of a brother or a sister sinning, we don't have to know whether or not if it's a sin unto death. We love them, right? We love our brother and our sister. We, in faith, pray for them that God would restore them. So we don't have to know. We don't know. God, John doesn't tell us. We leave it up to God and his sovereignty. Although, although John says... 
I do not say that he should pray for it. If you see a brother sinning a sin that leads to death, there is no command to pray for such a sin. But John also doesn't command not to pray. All he's saying is, I am not saying that you should pray for it. If a brother, if, if, if you suspect someone um, sinning, uh, a believer is sinning a sin that leads to death, you're free to pray. We are free to pray. There is no command here to pray or not to pray. John is just saying, I do not say that you shall pray for it. Why? Because we, can, we have the freedom to pray, but, but, as it says there, without any confidence of the outcome. You see, God is the one who decides. God is the one who decides what is the sin unto death. We don't. And I think John left this out on purpose. We ought to pray. And here's the application. James 5.16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such as one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We ought to pray for one another and carry one another's burdens. That's the application. John is saying, John is saying you don't know. You don't know what the sin is that leads unto death. And, and again, I don't know why he left it out, but we don't know. It's not there. It's up to God in his sovereignty. He decides. He decides what that sin is. But if we do pray and the Lord decides to take that person, it should not destroy our confidence. Okay, in, in, the, in the point of the confidence that we have as we pray, God wants us to have confidence. And our prayer life is, is, is directly affected by, um, our confidence is directed by our, our prayer life. So if we're praying, oh, why? Why did God, we pray for this man. Why did God not, not save him? Or why did God not restore him? And then finally, he shall give him life. James five nineteen to 20. Who's the he? Who's the he that gives life? He shall give him life. Who's the he? It's us. It's the Christian believer who's praying for that brother. Brethren, if any man, if any of you do err from the truth to go astray, or that means to go astray or wander, and, and, and one convert him. Now, this is not conversion for salvation. This is conversion from turning the person from his sinful ways, okay? Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So, we unpack that rather slowly, and hopefully it was clear. How do we live with eternal life here on earth? How do we live with eternal life here on earth? We ought to live with confidence in the one who hears and answers our prayers that are according to his will and not our own will. Secondly, is to live with your guard up. Anybody know what this, what this animal is? What is it? Say again? That's it. That's right. It's in the family of the mongoose. What's interesting about this animal is, of course, their, their, their posture. 
they're a very alert animal, and they really have a keen, keen eyesight. They can actually see for miles in the horizon a bird. And you know, you see the darkness around their eyes. That um, uh, helps with the glare, so they can see further. And their pupil actually is wider, so they have wider range, so they don't have to like you know do this to see the whole room. What I picked this animal, Marquette, right? Marquette um, is this is kind of the a good illustration of this point. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself. The word keepeth means to guard, to keep an eye on, to attend to carefully. Another thing we did in, the, in, the, in boot camp is they made us memorize uh, the 11 general orders. Okay? We, the military, we have what's called general orders. Um, here's three of them. The first one is just for context to take charge, and we had to memorize them. Can you imagine the nerve of somebody having, making you memorize something? To take charge of this post and all government property in view. Okay, so these, these um, general orders basically is for the one, for the Marine who has to guard some property, some governmental property or area or, or something. And there's always a Marine on guard guarding something, always. Okay, and, and this is basically their rules, their general orders. So second general order says to walk my post in a military manner. Okay, that means in a professional manner with discipline, focused. Keeping always on the alert and observing everything that takes place within sight or hearing. So as a Marine, you have to have a really keen sight and hearing. You know, they, they trained us um, for uh, night vision. Actually, they took us out late at night and they would um, make certain noises and we had to actually indicate what that noise was. So, and, and then also they, they helped us develop, to develop our night vision. They told us what to do and what not to do. Um, so over time, you really had a good night vision and you would actually you know, hear things that maybe someone else didn't hear because now you're, you're, they, they, again, developed this training that you were able to, to, listen, to hear things, listen, and identify what you heard in the dark, in the dark. Eleven, to, to be especially watchful at night and during the time for challenge. Why at night? Well, you know, that's, that's the best time under the cloak of darkness uh, for, for an enemy to attack and do whatever. And during the time for challenge, uh, to challenge all persons, you can be a lance corporal and challenge a lieutenant. Just because you're a lieutenant doesn't give you authority to go anywhere you want. If there's someone guarding that post, he, is, he has all the authority to challenge that person. Why? That person, that captain, that lieutenant, whatever, he could have been kidnapped and his clothes taken, and here is someone else in someone else's clothing, right? Could have. So you challenge him. You know, you ask him certain questions. You see, does this man, even if he says who he says he is, does he have authority to be 
where he's supposed to be? Does he have authority to, to go through your post? You see? So, and you might not even know him. Oftentimes, you don't know the person. You don't know who's coming to your post. So, it, it's easier if you know, your, you know the people who, that you um, are with in your platoon or your company or whatever, but many times you don't know who's coming your way. So you challenge them. This is what it means to, for he that is begotten of God to keepeth himself, to be on guard, always on the alert, to be watchful, with a keen eye and a keen ear, to attend to carefully, okay? To attend to carefully, to challenge. Challenge everything that comes their way that they're not familiar with. And the believer is carefully attending to what? To purifying himself. To purifying himself. As John writes in, in 3, right? Doesn't he say in John chapter 3, First uh, John, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. At this point, after reading verse 18, you should be thinking to yourself, Whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he just said in verse 16, if you see a brother sinning a sin that leads to death, I don't say that you should pray for it. So what is it? Does a believer sin or doesn't he sin? Well, we all know the answer, right? We all, we all know the answer. It's habitual sin. Okay? A, a Christian is not characterized by habitual sin. A Christian doesn't practice sin so he can get good at it. But it's not only that. It's not only that a Christian is not characterized by habitual sin. It's that a Christian is characterized by this guarding, by this watching. By living with their guard up. A believer is continually watching what he does. And one of the reasons he watches what he does is, and here's another definition of the word keepeth, it's to preserve he watches to preserve, as it's translated in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body, your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved. That's the word keepeth. Preserved, blameless, unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this verse, God is doing the preserving. In 1 John 5.18, we are doing the preserving. What is it that we are preserving in ourselves? Look at Psalm 51, probably one of the most read psalms and heart-moving of all psalms. And in it we find what we ought to be preserving. Psalm 51. And David in this psalm, by the way, is likely reflecting on when God took his anointing of his spirit off of Saul. And the Bible says that an evil spirit of the Lord was upon Saul. And David did not want that to happen to him. So he, David prays for the most two important aspects of his life. Psalm 51, 11. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from, from me. We preserve our relationship with God, and we preserve the power of his Spirit in our lives. How else can we have live? How else can we live eternal life here on earth without a relationship with God 
and the power of his spirit. One other thing, there's one other thing that we must preserve or guard ourselves from, and that's verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. What does an idol do? An idol takes you away from worshiping the true and living God. An idol can be anything. An idol can be religious. An idol can be worshiping the religion, the the traditions of the religion. Worshiping can even be, there are those who actually worship pet doctrines. And they put that over the God who brought them the religion, who brought them worship. But John gives a test in chapter 4 of a false prophet, right? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus came uh, came in the flesh is of God. So what's the next test, John? Well, you look at what they preach. You look at how they preach it. Acts 20.30, Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. This is within Christianity. Okay? False teachers within Christianity. This guy preaches with hate. I mean... There's, there's a list of things that he hates. A list of things that he hates. How does a preacher preach with hate? That should like tell you something. Beloved, there are many preachers on, online. Don't listen to every single one of them. Test them out. Challenge them. <laughs> Just like the Lance Corporal who challenges you know, that lieutenant. Challenge. If you don't know, challenge. And if you don't know how to challenge, ask someone. Don't listen. Please don't listen to false teachers. Even in the Christian circle, they're there. They're there. And they will destroy your faith. 100% will destroy your faith. Their pastime. You know, they have hobby horses. These kind of preachers have hobby horses. You know, what a, you know what a hobby horse is? They, they preach that certain thing all the time. They preach, it, you know, they, they preach it with this strange passion. 2 Timothy 2, 16 and 17. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker. You know what a canker is? The Greek word for canker, we get our word gangrene. Have you ever seen gangrene? Last night I had a slide for gangrene. I was looking, I was searching for a good slide. Would would you believe I got nauseous? I am not kidding. Last night, the very last moment, I I took it out. I took the slide out. It was so bad. It was really, really bad. But it really illustrated what Paul was saying spiritually is happening if you don't shun profane, wicked, vain babblings, basically empty, fruitless talk. Okay, empty, fruitless talk. For they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker. Gangrene, a disease by which any part of the body suffering from inflammation becomes so corrupt that unless a remedy be seasonably applied, the evil continually spreads, attacks other parts, and at last eats away the bones. The slide that I had was awful. It was really awful. Christ was crucified. 
that we could have eternal life. Eternal life that starts here on God's created earth, not when we get to heaven. And we are to live out with confidence in our Savior, preserving our relationship with God, preserving the power of His Spirit in our lives, and guarding, guarding ourselves from false teachers. In closing, 1 John 5.20, that ye may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Beloved, are you sure Are you sure you have eternal life? Are you sure that you know Jesus as your Savior? Is your confidence in Christ or is your confidence in your own abilities? Are you guarding yourself from that which might lead you away from the true God and living out eternal life here on earth? Let's stand for prayer. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, for the power of your word. Oh, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we have this access to you, this access to your throne, to your throne of grace and mercy by the blood of Jesus who cleanses us from all our sins. We thank you, dear God, for that cleansing. Thank you, dear Lord, for that cleansing. Thank you, dear God, for the confidence that we have in you. No, Lord, not in ourselves, but in you. God, we thank you for the many, many prayers that you, for your glory and for your honor, did answer. Lord, you answered our petitions. God, in that one petition, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Thank you, dear God, for answering that petition. God, may we always preserve this relationship that you have brought us to. God, we do not take for granted your word the power of your word. And this time that we have here on earth to get to know your son, to get to know you. Thank you, dear God, for the power of the spirit. Lord, give us the ability, the desire, the strength to preserve the power of your spirit upon our lives. And God, help us to guard against the false teachings, Lord, that come our way. If there's anyone, anyone here today that does not know Christ as their Savior, can you raise your hand only so I can pray 
so that you can also experience this eternal life, not in heaven. We will. We will one day. But here on earth, God wants us to experience that eternal life. It's a good life. We don't need the pleasures of this world. We don't. We don't have to fear. Anyone that does not know Christ as their Savior, pray. Pray God to forgive you of your sin. Unbelief is not the unpardonable sin. God does pardon unbelief if we come to Him. An unrepentant sinner going to hell is nothing special. It's not the unpardonable sin. It can be pardoned. If you do not know, if you do not know God, if you honestly cannot say that you walk with Christ, examine yourself. Do you feel the power of the Spirit in your life? in being able to love your brother and love your sister. Not easy, I know. Examine your heart. Are you genuinely loving the one who's not so easy to love? Oh God, help us all. Help us, dear Father, to truly Love as you loved. Give us the confidence in you and help us, O oh God, to keep our guard up. If there's anyone who does not know their, you as Lord and Savior, dear God, touch that person now, even now. Save their souls. In your name we pray. Amen.